Merry Christmas. It's good to be in the house of the Lord, especially with you today. I'll be preaching today from Micah chapter 5. If you have your Bibles or if you have a Bible app, please pull that out. We also have it on the screen. Listen to the word of the Lord in Micah chapter 5. Now muster your troops, O city of troops. Siege is laid against us with a rod. They strike the judge of Israel in the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore, we shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. The word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come into your presence today thanking you for the miracle of Christmas. Lord Jesus, as we consider you becoming a baby, emptying yourself of all glory that you had in heaven, becoming Emmanuel, God with us, we are we're stunned once again by your amazing love. And I pray that during this sermon that you would touch each person here that you would speak directly to their hearts through your word. Lord, I pray that uh, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my savior, my redeemer. This is your time. These are your people. We are here uh, to worship you. So be with us. Pour out your spirit upon each one of us today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a sermon outline on the back of the bulletin. It's pretty simple. Point one is being tired of sin. Point two is that we have a big Messiah. And point three is the small gift of Bethlehem. The small little gift that Jesus gives us. We'll get back to this in a little bit. First of all, tired of sin. Mike is one of the minor prophets. Currently, I'm finishing up reading through the Bible in a year, 35 uh, years of being a Christian. I think I've only done this twice. I've read through the Bible many times, but never all the way through in a year. I think I've done this twice. I'm pretty sure the first time around, I I didn't complete it all. But by God's grace, in about just in a couple days, I will have been through uh, the Scripture, all the Scripture from beginning to end in one year. You know, if, you know, if you're familiar with this, there's many type of plans for reading through the Bible in a year. There's chronological, and then there's you just go through the books of Bible in order. That's the one I chose to do, go through the books from Genesis, uh, Genesis all the way to Revelation in order. And if you read through the Bible in one year that way, at the end you're reading the prophets, and then finally you're reading the minor prophets. The minor prophets, Haggai, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, and, of course, Micah. And I have to admit, by the time you're done, it's a tough go. What, what's happening is you're reading through all of Israel's sin. 
it's overwhelming, it's discouraging, and you're reading through their sin, but also God's plan to judge them through foreign nations. Like I said, it's a tough go. Let me give you one example of what I'm talking about from Micah 3. It says, Hear this, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, who despise justice and distort all that is right. Because of you, Zion will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble. The temple hill, a mound overgrown with thickets. Real pick-me-up. That's, that's what you're going through at the end of the year if you're reading through the book in the Bible. All the books in the Bible. It's, it's a little overwhelming. And, and uh, Micah 3 gives us a good summary of what you find throughout the prophets. So like I said, you're, you're reading through the prophets. You're overwhelmed with Israel's sin. It's depressing to read. And then if you have any uh, spiritual sensitivity at all, Israel's sin begins to remind you of your own sin. And also the sin that you see all around you in the church. Frankly speaking, I'm tired of sin. I'm tired of my sin. I'm tired of the sin of the people around me. I'm just tired of it. Weary of how I want to do the right thing and then this sin pops up and I can't. Anyone here tired of sin? All right. I'm among friends. It makes you long for salvation. It makes you long for Messiah. Our big Messiah. Point two. Verse one of Micah 5 picks up the theme of many of the prophets with Israel under siege from the foreign nation of Assyria. God is fed up with sin and will destroy Israel because of it. And right in the midst of this depressing reality, God promises that a Messiah would come from Bethlehem. Verse 2 of our passage, this Messiah is described as the ruler from of old, from ancient days. And Micah also uses another phrase, days of old. He uses it twice in chapter 7. I wish I had time to read all of chapter 7 for you today. I would encourage you to do so, maybe even today. Um, But because of time, let me just summarize it for you. The heading, if you look in the ESV Bible, for example, it says, Wait for the God of Salvation. And that's a great summary of this chapter. The chapter starts with Micah's lament over his own sin and the sin of his people. Micah says things like, The godly hath perished from the earth. And put no trust in a neighbor, have no confidence in a friend. A man's enemies are men of his own home. In Micah, sin has caused the total collapse of society and of the household. But right in the midst of that, Micah makes this bold statement. He says, verse 7, But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to light. I shall look upon my vindication. Micah is crying out for salvation from his sin and the sin of his people. And right in the midst of this this cry, he uses the phrase, days of old. First, Micah 7, 14, shepherd your people with your staff. 
the flock of your inheritance. Let them graze in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old. The second time is verse 20. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham, as you have sworn to our fathers from days of old. Mikey uses all these phrases from of old, ancient days, days of old, to remind his people of promises made long ago. God is a promise keeper. No matter how much sin is in the world, God will stay faithful to keep his promises that he made to his people. And one of the greatest promises is to raise up a king from Bethlehem, a shepherd king, a son of David, who would bring peace to earth. This shepherd is able to stand in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And we have this ancient promised Messiah, this ruler, this shepherd. His name is Jesus. In John chapter 10, Jesus claims the fulfillment of this promise with with these great words. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Our shepherd Jesus will bring about the complete destruction of sin by laying down his own life. By dying in our place. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinner reconciled. Hallelujah. Can you say it with me? Hallelujah. It's, it's amazing news. Our sin will be completely wiped out. And then finally, point three, our God wraps this huge Messiah that would destroy our sin, and he wraps it in the small little present of Bethlehem. Small little present. It's clear from verse 2 of Micah 5 that Bethlehem is an insignificant town. It says it's too little to be even counted among the great clans of Judah. As Christians, we consider Bethlehem to be a great city because that's where our Messiah was born. But by considering it great, you're missing the point that God is trying to make in his scripture. Even the Jews of the day tried to make Bethlehem greater than it really was. Let's take a quick look at Matthew 2, verse 6. Remember when Herod brought together all the priests, the high priests and the scribes, and he want to inquire of them where the Christ was to be born? Their reply to him is, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, and then they quote Micah 5. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. Do you see anything wrong with that? They're misquoting the scripture in Micah 5. Instead of saying, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, they quote, O Bethlehem, you are by no means least among Judah. They're trying to make Bethlehem greater than it really was. Bethlehem is a little bit like Alni, which many consider least among the neighborhoods in Philadelphia. 
A pastor friend of mine during one Christmas season, who this pastor friend of mine lives in University City, he said, you know, if Jesus was to be born today, he would be born in a neighborhood like Almy. Now, I have to admit, I really didn't like that, the fact that he said that. It bothered me because I've been living in Almy for a while. Um, it felt like he was picking on Almy. Picking on Almy is a little bit like picking on my sister. I could pick on my sister all day long and twice on Sunday. But if you pick on my sister, we're going to have a fight. It's the same way with Alney. I've lived in Alney 25 years. This is my home. I can pick on Alney as much as I want. But if you pick on Alney, if you don't live here, we're going to have a fight. But here's the thing. My friend was correct. If God were be, to be born today in Philadelphia, he would be born in a neighborhood like Alney or North Philadelphia or Kensington. In fact, he was. He was born in Bethlehem. Here's a great quote from John Piper in his sermon on Micah 5. He says, Bethlehem, God chooses something small, quiet, out of the way, and does something there that changes the course of history and eternity. Why? Because when he acts the way this way, we can't boast in the merits or achievements of men, but only in the glorious mercy of God. We can't say, well, of course, he set his favor on Bethlehem. Look at the human glory Bethlehem has achieved. God chose a stable so no innkeeper could say, could boast. He chose the comfort my inn. God chose a manger so that no woodworker could boast. He chose the craftsmanship of my bed. He chose Bethlehem so no one could boast. The greatness of our city constrained the, the, the divine choice. If we are to act similarly to the religious leaders in Matthew and try to make Bethlehem great, we miss the point of Christmas. Keep Bethlehem insignificant in your mind. Christmas is a reminder that God often disguises himself among the insignificant things of this world. Do you want to see Jesus this Christmas day? Look to the small things in your midst. Pay attention to the smallest present that you received today. Think about a person you know who struggles to find their place in this world, or maybe even their place in this church. I know without a shadow of doubt, because I've had these conversations, that there are people here, maybe even today, but I know they exist in our church, who feel insignificant in our midst. To these people, I want to say, I know you often feel ignored at New Life Church. Maybe you feel ignored in your own family. I'm here to tell you that God sees your insignificance. He chose to be born right in your midst. You are God's special gift to us. And I pray that, we would ha that God would grace us to love you with a special love, the kind of love that shows that you're not insignificant at all, a love that shows you matter 
both to God and to us. I pray that God would give that gift of love to us that we might give it to you. Yes, Jesus is found in tiny little boxes. Anyone wondering what's in the box? Is uh, Hazel here? I asked Hazel to help me. Hazel, come on up. You want to open this for me? She hasn't opened the box yet. Yeah, you can leave that down. Keep going. It's right here. What is it? It's a rock. Is that a good gift? No. <laughs> Thank you, Hazel. You can take that. It won't, you, you can leave that there. Thank you, Hazel. She said exactly what I was hoping she would say. It's a rock. Yes, it is a rock. All right, kids. If your parents went out into the park and grabbed a bunch of rocks and they wrapped it up and that's the only presents you got today, would you be happy? No, I don't think you would be. <laughs> Let me tell you about this rock. This, this rock is a special gift given to me by God himself. This, when, I, when I picked up this rock, when I saw this rock, it was at my grandmother's memorial service. We, my grandmother lived to 103, and she passed away last year. And as our custom in our hometown church in Potsdam, many people, uh, we, we bury their ashes in the community garden at our church, First Presbyterian Church of Potsdam. That's what we did for my grandfather. That's what we did for my grandmother. So I looked down, and I saw this rock, and I picked it up. I have one for my grandfather as well. Um, For me to really kind of tell you about my grandmother, uh, I have to tell you a little bit of a story. You have to, in in order to understand the importance of my grandmother, you'll have to hear this story. And that's my grandmother, by the way, Florence Schumacher, when she was young. She's a stunningly beautiful woman. She was a stunningly beautiful woman in so many different ways. Let me just tell you a little bit about her. When my parents were young, my, pa- my mother was 17. My dad was 19. My mother got pregnant with me out of wedlock. My parents did get married, and five months later, I was born. So there I was being raised by teenage parents. As you can imagine, it was a struggle for them. They relied heavily on my grandparents, Edward and Florence Schumacher. Everyone called her Flossie. My grandparents raised me almost as much as my parents. They meant the world to me, especially my grandmother. So when she died at her funeral, I picked up this rock as a memorial stone to remind me of her often. And here's an excerpt of what I shared in my hometown church at my grandmother's memorial service. These are the words I said. I said, I am one of those people who long for peace. 
I grew up a very anxious boy with plenty of fears. I simply did not know who I was most of the time, so I tried to be like everyone else. God gave me my grandmother as a rock. Her peace always gave me hope, and by her example, she allowed me to see that one day I would know that peace myself. She was showing me God, the source of all peace, and the true rock of my life. And in my sophomore year of high school, right in that small room over there where we had Sunday school class with Mary Jo Zukoski, God came into my life. He showed me who I was and what he wanted me to be, a pastor and a preacher. More importantly, he showed me who he was and the love he had for me in Jesus Christ. He graciously gave me the peace that passes all understanding. Who would ever know that a tiny little rock would be such a great gift to me? God often wraps himself in small things. We have a great Messiah born in a tiny little town of Bethlehem, in an insignificant manger among young, nobody parents. Do not miss your Savior this Christmas by trying to see him among the big and the powerful and the influential. If you do, you will not see him. He is in your presence among the little things. May may God give all of you eyes to see him this Christmas day. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for the gift that you have given us in Jesus Christ and that we, get, we are reminded of that gift each and every Christmas. Thank you for such an amazing story. You're such an amazing storyteller. You're, you're always challenging our preconceived notions. We are thankful that you gave us a great big Messiah and a tiny little gift of a child. Lord, I pray today that we would look for you among the little things in this world. Among the little people, at least what society says are little people. We know that you were born right in their midst. Born among the shepherds. Born in that manger. No room for you in the inn. I ask Holy Spirit that you would give, give all of us eyes to see Jesus this day. Fill us with your hope. Fill us with the great knowledge that sin will be destroyed forever and ever. You've already done that on the cross, and you will bring it to its completion when we see you face to face. We honor you and glory in your presence this day. In Jesus' name.